Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the end of the college basketball season and the end of an era for the Carrier Dome. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest is our great friend Mike Waters from Syracuse.com. And Mike, I want to get you started on this one. You were down in Greensboro for the ACC tournament covering Syracuse when the ACC tournament was canceled. Take us through everything that happened that day. So we go to the press conference on Thursday morning, and we're a little shocked that basically it's like, no, we're going to proceed today uh, playing these games uh, with limited fan access, basically in a virtually empty arena. And during the press conference on my phone, we already knew Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz has tested positive for the coronavirus. John Swafford knew that, obviously, too, before he even took the stage for his press conference. But during the press conference, on my phone, I got the alert that that, um, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert's teammate, had also tested positive. And I leaned over and I showed it to my colleague, Donna Detota, and she just looked at me and shook her head. And we both knew they're going to have to cancel this because if it's starting to spread on teams, not just – within the locker room and stuff like that. But we're talking about teams, both college and pro, who travel. They're in hotels. They're in airports. They're on planes. They're moving about the country. And if officials are worried about the spread of this uh, virus, you're going to have to start you know, restricting some of the travel of these teams. And it's not just a matter of worrying about the 20,000 fans sitting elbow to elbow uh, with each other in the stands or – or media going into the locker room. It's going beyond that. And sure enough, about an hour after Swafford's press conference ended, the ACC put out a statement that the rest of the tournament was canceled. So Florida State and uh, Clemson was supposed to be the first game of the day at 1230. Players had gotten on the court. Players were warming up for both teams. But it was uh, the tournament was halted right then. And it, and it was bizarre. I you just felt like you were in this other world covering some other kind of, I don't know, um, almost like you were in a movie. You know, one of those, you know, really, you know, virus contagion type disease movies like Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman or Contagion or, or, or something like that. And it was affecting the sports world like we cared. You know, it was it was bigger than that. And you were beginning to get an idea that it was much bigger than that and sports needed to step aside. Mike, thanks for sharing that story with us. It's really a once-in-a-lifetime moment that took place. And 
Let's talk about the aftermath of the season. Over the weekend, news came out that Bryson Gadine, Jalen Carey, and Howard Washington were entering the transfer portal. We already know that Gadine is heading to Providence. That's a pretty big deal to lose three scholarship players in one shot. Is this business as usual, or should we be sounding the alarm? I don't think it's a bad sign for the program, and I'm currently disagreeing with MSU fans on Twitter as we speak about it. Uh, basically some saying that the house is on fire or uh, <laughs> like, come on, let's settle <laughs> down here. Transfers happen. Players want to play and they not only want to play, they want to start if they're any good at all. What happened in Syracuse is, is they ended up a little bit overloaded in back-to-back classes in the backcourt. And the reason that happened was a, a couple different factors fold in here. One, they probably recruited an extra one more guard than they really needed because they were uncertain about Howard Washington's health. You know, he had the knee injury, he had the stroke, he had heart surgery. So what's he going to do? Is he really going to play again? How's he going to help you? So you recruit guys and you get commitments before Howard even takes the floor again. While he's sitting out with the stroke, you get commitments from Bryson Goodine and Joe Girard. And I think also when you first recruit some of these guys, you're not exactly sure maybe which positions they'll be able to handle. And, and then you also had Buddy Beheim's emergence from, you know, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people thought when Buddy went to SU, he was nothing more than a glorified walk-on. How much was he really going to help? Then he played a little bit as a freshman, but still, you know, some folks were like, okay, he surprised me here, but how good is he really going to be? His emergence has affected the backcourt as well. Jalen Carey's injury early on in the season, not being able to play well, and then after two games, them deciding to shut him down and get the surgery on his shooting hand, his thumb. You know, all of a sudden now, Joe Girard goes from backup to starting point guard. Now, Jalen had been the starting point guard this past season, held on to that position, played well, never got hurt. He's coming back, and I don't think Girard's leaving either because I think Girard knew coming in there was a chance he'd be behind, you know, Buddy and, and Carey for a year or two or whatever, but he would find his role. Um, Bryson Goodine, I think, is a very good player. And of the three that guys that are going to transfer, Howard, Jalen, and, and Bryson, he might be the one that they're going to end up missing the most. But he's leaving because he's a good player. And I think he's looking at Gerard emerging as a freshman and Buddy being pretty entrenched now as a, as a sophomore and thinking to himself, I don't want to come off the bench at Syracuse and when the guy ahead of me at one position is in my class and the guy ahead of me at the other is only one class ahead of me, guys anymore aren't willing to sit around and wait for their opportunity as a senior <laughs> to start. You know, The days of, I don't know, Greg Kidd Coles and stuff are long since gone, so... Um, and also, kids are a little bit more savvy to this now, transferring thing. They don't have to be here for two years before they get the writing on the wall. They're now able to figure things out early on, and Bryson's a much more valuable commodity on the transfer market with three years of eligibility. And he knows that. Players around the country know that. Syrac- think about the success Syracuse has had going after transfers that had three years of eligibility left. Jim Beheim prefers those guys uh, over two-year players because he gets another year in the program with them. And if they have to sit out a year, 
they're in the program for four. They become part of your natural recruiting cycle. So from Elijah Hughes to Michael Benajay to Ryan Blackwell to Leo Routens, just off the top of my head, four guys that came to Syracuse with three years of eligibility remaining, and look at the impact they all had on the program. So that's why Bryson's leaving now. And I think it's part of the reason why Jalen's leaving now, because since redshirting this past year, he also still has three years of eligibility left, provided he can get a waiver from the NCAA and not have to sit out another year and, and uh, burn one. Mike, all three of them are leaving. That leaves only three guards on the roster for next year's team. The two starters and then incoming freshman, Kadari Richmond. Do you see Syracuse being in the market for a grad transfer, or do you see Richmond being pressed into the rotation as a first-year player? You know, if they have to push forward with only the three guards, uh, I've seen them survive a year like that before. Um, But I know they're going to be looking at at the transfer market. The other thing, too, is of the three guys that are – have put their names in the poll. We know Bryson's gone. He's picked Rollins. And I'm pretty sure Jalen Carey's gone for good as well. But I still think there's a slight chance that Howard Washington, uh, depending on what he hears on the transfer market, if he doesn't find a place that he's entirely happy with, there's a chance he returns to Syracuse, comes back. It's his fourth year in the program, even though he has two years of eligibility left. He can come back, play a, maybe a little bit bigger role as a backup. Um, than he did this past year because Bryson's not around and he'll get his degree. And then if he wants to take his grad transfer a year and transfer right away and, and go somewhere where maybe he's going to start or get a lot more playing time, he could do that. So I could see perhaps uh, Howard returning um, and that would give them a fourth guy and they'd be fine. But yeah, I, I think they're going to be looking over the transfer portal and that market and, whether they take a transfer that has several years of eligibility left or whether they look at the grad transfer market alone. Um, I think they could look at, you know, the problem with the with transfers is, is you have to be completely transparent with these kids on what their role is going to be. You don't want to bring in a kid who thinks he's going to start at the one or the two when he's not. Um, is it going to be a kid from a low or mid major who just wants to experience life at the, at the high major level and he's going to be okay coming off the bench? If you don't have a guy who gets that, you end up with Geno Thorpe who leaves after six games because he's upset with his role. you got to find a John Gillen or Andrew White type who either comes in and fills a glaring need or he comes in fully aware of the situation. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. Syracuse is also waiting on a decision from Elijah Hughes, who's coming off a first-team All-ACC caliber year. Do you see him returning to Syracuse for his fourth year of eligibility, or is the coaching staff already looking to fill that need on the roster? Oh, they're looking to fill that need in the roster. (laughs) Um, He's going to explore his options. He's going to put his name in. The hard part for Elijah and any other player in his situation who's contemplating the draft um, is there's probably not going to be an NBA combine. Will you even be able to work out for teams individually? How are they going to do that? Can you you travel uh, anywhere? Are they going to push the draft back a long way? Will you want to wait? So I think because of the uncertainty around the country, given the coronavirus and its impact everywhere, there, there might be a, a, a slight chance that Elijah returns. That's because in returning, everything kind of stays the same. Everything's a given. Um, but I don't think he comes back because he's necessarily looking to increase his draft stock. 
what more can he do <laughs> than he did this past season? I mean, my goodness, um, he had a phenomenal uh, year. So, but you know, maybe he, uncertainty leads to some. You know, you know, a guy like Elijah saying, you know what, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to stay here. But I, I think he's going to explore it. I fully expect him to go on in and and stay in the draft. Which means the the coaches and they're they've been thinking about this for a long time. They were interested in Seth Towns, the grad transfer from Harvard, and we knew his name in, in relation to Syracuse back in like January or February. Now I don't think he's coming to Syracuse, given the whole coronavirus situation. He hasn't visited Syracuse. He hasn't visited most of the schools on his list. I fully expect him to either go to Ohio State, which is located in his hometown of Columbus, Ohio. So therefore, he's familiar with both the school and the coaching staff. Doesn't need a campus visit to to go there. You know, the one outlier is is if Duke gets interested in him, that be like the one program in the country who could swoop in and get a kid at the last minute, sight unseen, um, you know, and, and steal him away. I think he'd be they'd be stealing him from Ohio State though at this point, not Syracuse. Um, so, but they're aware that they might have to look for somebody or. They look at their roster, and if they think that a, a forward rotation of Marek, Quincy, Robert Braswell, and Woody Newton, the incoming freshman, if that's good enough, maybe they're okay. You know, and maybe they look to find a kid that can, you know, help them at multiple positions, the one and the, and the two, or the two and the three. But uh, the transfer portal is filling up not just daily, but hourly. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're on it. They're, they're, they're looking at guys. And again, you got to find a guy that's the right fit in terms of what, you know, what you need, but also it's going to be the right fit in terms of understanding, hey, listen, this is the role we have for you. Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, our great friend from Syracuse.com, Mike Waters. Mike, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Always good to talk to you. You stay safe too, and uh, hopefully we're back in uh, gyms and arenas and the and, and the Carrier Dome real soon, enjoying the games again. Great stuff from our friend Mike Waters, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online editor in chief and my very good friend Brad Beerman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, these are unprecedented times we're living in. Syracuse was supposed to be playing in the ACC tournament and was supposed to be in either the NCAA tournament or the NIT now. And here we are doing this podcast, what was supposed to be the first weekend of the postseason, and we're all sitting at home. There's not basketball on television. So if you wrote about it in your Orange Watch this week, there are only a few other comparisons, one being World War II, the other being 9-11. You've been around the program in six different decades. Put this into perspective for us. Uncharted territory is what we're going through with sports in this country. And as we focus on Syracuse athletics here, and I've covered SU sports for 45 years. So no, I wasn't around in world war two, 1943, 44, not that old, but I can only imagine that there's a lot of similarities because it canceled the entire 1943 football season, 43, 44 basketball, Uh, The U.S. was rationing supplies, manufacturing uh, locations were turning into manufacture things for the war effort for the U.S. in World War II. So everything was upended. And, of course, sports in this country wasn't nearly as big the entertainment uh, vehicle that it is today. So 
college football was king over the NFL back in the 40s, but the impact certainly nothing like in the television age where sports is on every day, every game is televised. So the impact is massive. And when you think about not just the players, the student athletes, the coaching staff, all the support personnel behind the scenes, and then all the fans that look for Syracuse athletics as a form of entertainment, as a pastime, and then for the work that you and I do and our staff with the juice and the passion we have for that because we're all Orange fans in one way, shape, or form, and we like to share that with our readers. So the impact is far and wide, and a couple of things I thought about in more modern times with 9-11, as you mentioned, it was only one Syracuse game that got pushed back a couple of weeks, East Carolina, and I vividly remember when that game was canceled and the Syracuse football coaching staff really didn't know what to do with themselves. Paul Pasqualoni actually took his kids to Apple Pick in September of that year with an unplanned Saturday. So it was really, really unusual. And I move forward to Syracuse football now. I wonder how Dino Babers and the staff can prepare with no spring practice, no recruiting, the athletes not allowed to, to have formal organized workouts using you know, all of the facilities on campus as we head towards the summer. So as long as this uh, situation goes on, Wes, now the question is, is it going to have an effect on Syracuse football? So certainly unprecedented, as you mentioned, and developments will be changing by the day. And Brad, there's still things going on in Syracuse athletics. One thing that's being overlooked right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic is that the Carrier Dome, which has been an icon for Syracuse athletics for so many years, is now coming down. There's video online of the dome being deflated and major construction underway. Normally, that would be at the top of the news cycle, but at the very least, it's an end of an era. Wes, it led me to think this week when the Carrier Dome roof was deflated, what if they put up a brand new permanent roof and fancy new scoreboard and sound system at the dome and nobody showed up? Boy, I'll tell you, it's great, of course, that all things are moving forward on the Carrier Dome roof uh, renovation project because we all know how a 40-year-old building, how long it served and time to move and upgrade into into the 2020s. But what I did think about when I saw the video online this week about the roof being deflated is, they continue preparations for putting up the permanent structure. It was way back in 1979-80 when the Dome was first built, after they tore Archbold Stadium down, dug out the hole at the same site, and then put up the Dome, the walls, the seats. And the very last thing, of course, was inflating the original Dome roof in the summer of 1980. And I vividly remember that as it went up and then permanently altered the Syracuse skyline for the next 40 years with that pillow-like substance and Really going to be neat to see now with the permanent roof being a little bit higher in the building. And then this most important element, it really is in in entertainment venues today, being able to suspend over the playing surface this huge video scoreboard, replay board for uh, fun games, for advertisers, for sponsors, et cetera. And it's really something that's been missing in the Dome uh, in in the last 20 years is these kind of scoreboards took shape in stadiums or in arenas around the country. So, that's going to be really uh, a noticeable difference as part of the fan experience when the uh, games resume with the new permanent roof and the sound system and lighting. And really looking forward to you know phase one here in the summer of 20 as part of a three-year overall process.
Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts revolve around a couple of college basketball coaches that I wrote about in Orange Watch articles during the year. And I, I asked this question too, Wes, who had the better season? Greg Paulus at Niagara or Mike Hopkins at Washington? Of course, both have deep Syracuse connections with Paulus growing up in Syracuse before playing at Duke and then his football season for Doug Marone in the Orange. And, of course, Mike Hopkins' great career as a player assistant under Jim Beheim. But when you look at the numbers, it, it's a, kind of a legitimate question. Niagara under Paulus finished 12-20, and 20, and many folks thought he couldn't win double-digit games after being named the interim head coach just before practice began last September and then the head coach just before games began in late October. They actually uh, finished 9-11 and 11 in the MAC and won nine games at home and a tournament game in the MAC tournament. So 12-20 and 20 for Niagara for Greg Paulus. Mike Hopkins in Washington in his third season after being named the Pac-12 Coach of the Year his first two years, finished 15-17, and 17, just 5-13 and 13 in the Pac-12, and just 10-7 and seven at home, losing their only tournament game. So Greg Paulus, 12-20 and 20 Niagara. Mike Hopkins, 15-17 and 17 at Washington. I'm going to give the edge to Greg Paulus for having a better year and what he did in the situations that were presented to him last September. Brad, my closing thoughts are on the ACC basketball Twitter feed, which is running a bracket of the best ACC players of all time. In the bracket, they have number four, Adrian Dantley, versus the number 13 seed, Pearl Washington. One, it's strange seeing Pearl be a 13 seed on any all-time great list. It's even stranger seeing him be part of an ACC poll. That said, get on at ACCMBB and vote for Pearl. That's it for us. For Brad Bierman, this is Wes Chang reminding you that pumpkin is a nice thing to call someone unless that person is overweight and wearing orange. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Life insurance. What's your excuse for putting it off? Can't afford it? Too much hassle? Think your work coverage is enough? There's a lot of excuses for putting off life insurance, but one big reason why you shouldn't. If the unexpected were to happen to you, who would pay the mortgage, the kid's tuition, and all the other bills? In a time of grief, the last thing you would want is for your family to have to sell the house and struggle to survive financially. At Ethos, we could get you covered in just 10 minutes and boom, family protected. Rates can increase the longer you wait, so no more excuses. Take 10 minutes today and discover the modern way to get the life insurance coverage you need. Ethos, fast and easy online term life insurance, up to $2 million in coverage with no medical exam. Some policies as low as a dollar a day. Answer a few health questions and get your free quote at ethoslife.com slash audio. That's ethoslife.com slash audio. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.